This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 190 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one shedding, bathing, and grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we share the two people who are leading us into the future of horsemanship. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have Jen with me, my producer. How are you? Woohoo! Nice to, nice to, nice, I would say nice to see you, but we're not seeing each other. Oh, I know. I Maybe we'll get to see you on one of these tours. I know you're going uh, around the eastern part of the United States in August of this year, of 2021, as we speak. But when do you come to the West Coast again? Oh. Any plans? Oh, it's going to happen. We'll see if it it might not be till we might skip a year in between. We might go again next. Who who knows? If it goes really excitingly well, maybe it'll be, you know, Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) You just never know. Probably not. Well, and you know, it's it's one of those things you never know how life is going to twist and turn. Wow, that's true. And up and down. And um, I, I have to just keep myself, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to be open to it. And, you know, if, if it didn't happen the way it did, life wouldn't be where it's at. Right. I'm, I'm very much things happen for a reason. You just don't always know what the reason is at the time. My gosh, you're being clairvoyant about this episode. (laughs) So yes, we have one of those stories for you. We do. Yeah. It it really is. You know, one of those, if, not this happening and then that happening and pivoting world would be completely different for Monty's life and mine certainly. And so that's going to be, stay tuned for one of those stories. It's just um, never been told. So I hope everybody um, is really ready for a very exciting roller coaster ride. I, I know you and I were doing notes back and forth going like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. This story. This, this is, this is one of those, rare horsemanship episodes where mm, I'm going to recommend a tissue. Yeah. Yeah, I awesome. am. Yeah. And then we also, yeah, the and the other um, interview is so important for longevity. If you want to keep your horse well into his 20s and you have the ability to do what this lady's doing, please have a listen because she and her Apollo, she is She's been with her Paulo since she's 13, and he's 29 now. He came to her as a three-year-old. Listen in. It's just incredible. What a great story. A great story about a nearly lifelong relationship those two have had. And yeah. I can't wait to get to that one. And before we do that, as usual, we are going to hear from our title sponsor, Hands on Gloves. Well, I'm sitting here today with Jay Michelson of Hands-On Gloves, and we were talking today about the horse that has sensitive skin or the animal that has sensitive skin, Jay, and I I wanted you to help me address that a little bit. I know you've got some features to your products, but I know you know more about it than I do. So what do you do? What do you say to the, the owner that has somebody with sensitive skin? Our gloves are made from surgical grade nitrile. 
So that makes them chemical-resistant, mildew-resistant, because you can bathe with them, too. They're made to get wet. Um, but across the board, there's no latex in them. So it's great for any animal, any people that have latex issues. There's no latex in it. They're just your hands. And if you have a thin-skinned horse or dog, they're, they're cats, other animals. There are many animals that don't like to be touched in certain areas. But having the gloves on, it's just your hands. You get immediate feedback if you get to an area of that animal that is sensitive. And you can apply less pressure in those areas, and you can apply more pressure in the other areas. Um, we have professional grooms that work from us. Um, they groom for Olympians across the board, and these guys are phenomenal. And they did a study on mainly thoroughbreds, thin-skinned thoroughbreds, mm -hmm. and they found out that most people are grooming too light. <laughs> oh, interesting. And tickling the, the horses. and went in and applied just a little more pressure, and the horses loved it. Uh, and so that's kind of some of our experience with it. We, we have all kinds of animals and experience with that. I think you can throw these in the wash machine. Am I right? You can. Next time you bathe your animals with them, use the gloves. A little bit of soap suds up all the way. And what we do after we bathe our animals with them, we rinse them off, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Um, you can throw them in the washing machine. Um, just don't put them in the dryer. And okay. um, just throw them in the washing machine hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Well, Jay, how do people find out about you? Handsongloves.com. Horse and Hound Magazine named Monty as one of the top 50 all-time greatest horsemen. He's the creator of the world-renowned and revolutionary equine training technique called Join Up. Monty travels the world demonstrating that nonviolent, gentle training creates breakthrough performance as you partner with your horse. Growing up on a working horse farm, Monty witnessed traditional, often violent methods of horse training and breaking the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win 11 World's Championships in the show ring. Today, Monty's goal is to share his message that violence is never the answer. Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Equus Online University, an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Dad. So I see that Baruna, Baruna is one horse we're going to talk about today. And, and then yeah. we've got Sherivery or Sherivery. In 1961-62, Hastings Harcourt of Harcourt Brace in World Publishing, uh, son of Adolf Harcourt, began to work in New York at the office of Adolf and the business of the publishing company, Harcourt Brace and World. And at one time, they were publishing about 80% of all the textbooks that were made in the United States of America. And it turned out that I didn't know it at this time. I had never heard of Harcourt before. Well, I guess I had heard their books in the, in the universities I attended, but um, I didn't know anything about the family. And, and uh, he was booted out of New York by his family because of a condition that he had that's called um, bipolar. He was, con he was diagnosed with extreme bipolar disease and sent to California. And he and his wife were given enough money to uh, 
you know, do fine. And so they bought a multi-million dollar home in Montecito and uh, they bought property in the San Ynez Valley, part of which became uh, nursery things, growing plants and stuff. And he didn't know what to do with himself. But anyway, he went to a sale with some friends, a horse sale of quarter horses with some friends. And he bought a young horse there, a uh, two or three year old called Travels Echo. And a veterinarian said, you should send him to Monty Roberts. Uh, he's the guy. Um, your mother and I had three children. Uh, you were about eight or so eight, six, and four, let's call it. And uh, we lived in Edna, California on a small horse farm owned by a cotton farmer. And we struggled, you know, and it was on that property that I accumulated about four or five world championships. Uh, The horses were doing fine. We were just struggling to keep going and travel down the road and stuff. And uh, the veterinarian says, you're getting a horse from Hastings Harcourt called Travels Echo. And um, so I I get the horse and he is everything that you would ever wish for in a pleasure horse, Western pleasure horse. And I wasn't in the Western pleasure uh, mode. I I was doing the big things. I had won a world championship in bulldogging. I had won a world championship in team roping. And I had several world championships in horse mastership and Western things. But anyway, the veterinarian told me, you know, if you could take this horse and win something with him, this guy might do anything. He's really got a lot of money. The veterinarian didn't know that he had bipolar disease either. So I take this horse and I rode him for about six or eight months, Travels Echo, And something told me, I have no idea. I'm looking back at the books on this and it just doesn't make any sense that I entered him in the largest Western pleasure competition they have on the West coast. And that year it was to be held in Santa Barbara, uh, at the Earl Warren showgrounds. And there were about 65 entries and they came from all over the United States. And there was one horse leading the United States at the time. I don't know who his, uh, what his name was, but he was ridden by a man called Felix Catrone Jr. And um, that guy was winning everything. And there were about 65 entries. And here's me on a horse that had never been to town before, hmm. had never been shown in a Western pleasure class or anything else. And I go in there, Clyde Kennedy was the judge, and he was an internationally famous judge. He wasn't somebody that was a friend of mine. And Mr. Harcourt had a whole group of his friends there at this show, and I win with Travel's Echo. I win first place after four different cuts where they bring it down from 65 to 40, and then from 40 to 12 and then from 12 to eight and so forth, I win and Harcourt went nuts. And he said, I want you to build me da 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 the biggest horse operation you ever saw. And I would like it to be in the San Inez Valley near Santa Barbara here. 
and we'll go over and I've got a lot of property there now and you can pick out whichever piece of property you want to build this on. Well, it happens that they were all out there where the stones are and there's no water and, and so forth and so on. And I didn't like any of those properties. And I had already done a study of the soils here at Flag is Up. I know this is all ancillary, but you can throw it away, but it ought to go on the record books. Mm-hmm. I had done a study while at Cal Poly University uh, of the soils here. And uh, I had a very famous uh, doctor of animal nutrition that was helping me with this. Do you remember his name, Debbie? Uh, oh, is it Aljo? Yeah, Dr. Aljo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget his first name, but Dr. Aljo was helping me do this. And I kept telling Harcourt, you ought to buy here on this particular place. And we then we could build a fantastic internationally uh, acclaimed uh, horse operation. Jack Aljo. Dr. Jack Aljo. That's it. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, during the course of his dealing with the uh, real estate people here, he started looking at this property and, um, saying, you know, I can sell the other properties and maybe buy that property and stuff like that. And everything is going fine. He's going along. And we have this champion pleasure horse that I never showed again, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And but, now you've uh, switched to thoroughbreds. When, what was the decision there? He then he tra- said he wanted to race thoroughbreds. Okay. And he sent me two or three thoroughbreds that he'd already invested in that were at the track, and they were useless horses that oh. were <laughs> damaged dramatically. Oh, and they came to Edna, California, to that place. And he said, what do you want to do then? I want to race horses. I don't want to ride horses. I want to race horses. Well, he was going to ride uh, Travel's Echo, and that was his horse. But that was just around the farm once a month or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, where do we go? I said, Del Mar. We go to Del Mar to the sale. And they have thoroughbred yearlings there. And we'll buy thoroughbred yearlings. That's how you get in this racing industry. And he said, I've already put a, uh, a, a piece of Depo- money. Uh, a deposit, uh, yeah. A deposit down on one piece of property, which happens to be the center of this farm. Um, I put a, uh, some money down on that farm, but it's just sitting there and I'm holding things together. So let's go down to this sale and see see how you do with this. I was a cowboy. I was a cowboy. I had trained some thoroughbreds, cheap $1,000, $2,000 thoroughbreds. Down to the sale we go. I come back from Del Mar with two horses. Baruna and Charivari. The average price in that sale was over twenty thousand. It was about twenty six, twenty seven thousand, something in that range, according to the things I notes I made. And I paid five thousand for Charivari, five thousand, and I paid six thousand five hundred for Baruna. And I told them. Mr. and Mrs. Harcourt were both there at the sale. They were flying. But when they saw the prices and every, all their friends were around there buying for $25,000, $40,000. And, 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 and Harcourt says to me, 
well, what is this? I mean, why did these go so cheap? And I said, I don't know, but I love them. And, and I buy on confirmation, not on pedigree. Share varies by what's ahead. You could breed to him for something like a thousand or $1,500, maybe for free. I don't know. He was, he was a nothing sire. And, uh, Baruna was by Puna the second, who was also a very marginal sire, both here in California. Think about it. Now I wasn't even talking about Kentucky. I was talking about right here in California, the lowest kind of horses you could think of. And Baruna, I said, was a drag racer. <laughs> I Apparently, I make in my notes, I said that I told Mrs. Harcourt he was a drag racer. And that's why she named him Baruna, ah. because it sounded like a drag racer. <laughs> and uh, so I said he's a sprinter. He's bred to be a sprinter. He looks like a sprinter, and I think he is a sprinter. And what about Sherivari then? He's by Whatsahead, who's from Ireland, and that horse was a distance horse. Yes, I, I tell you, I look at his confirmation, and I think he's maybe one of the nicest colts I've ever seen in my life. Well, then why did he bring 5,000? So off they go, Mr. and Mrs. Harcourt, to a party of all their friends in Montecito, and if you know the area, it's one of the most affluent areas in the United States. So they had groups of friends that could talk this game, you know. Mm -hmm. And they came to Mr. Harcourt at that party and said, what in the hell are you doing? You get a cowboy from Edna, California <laughs> to go to Del Mar to buy you thoroughbred yearlings and you come back with a couple of pieces of junk. There's some Kentucky horses that came out here to be sold here that brought thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. And you buy a five thousand dollar colt and a six thousand five hundred dollar colt. What in the world are you doing? So he gives Pat and I a call. Does Harcourt. And he says, I'm out. I'm taking back my deposit on that property and I'm out. If these things, we'll go ahead and train these horses and we'll see. My friends say that I will see that you don't know what you're doing. And so I'm training on in Edna, in a field. We took them across the road, Debbie, to your friend's that had a dairy over there. Yeah. <laughs> and they lived up there in that barn because I was full down there with, I didn't have that much room anyway, but I only had eight stalls right. and I was full with my wonderful Western horses, Julius Dahl being one of them, Johnny Tivio being another, etc. So I came down each day, crossed the road there and came into a field. We didn't have a track and we trained those horses in the field. And Harcourt kept calling me with very, very negative phone calls saying, how are they going? And I don't know what this is all about. And I had already talked to Farrell Jones, who was the leading trainer at Del Mar. And Farrell Jones had known me when I rode races and when I won world championships in the horse shows and he was intrigued by it all, so he said he would take him. So the first horse I sent in was Baruna. 
But I'm telling you that he had a confirmation that said speed all over it. And that horse, in June of his two-year-old year, goes from the starting gate and opens more than 10 lengths on the field before they're a quarter of a mile in the race. Oh, gosh. And then the jockey is just looking back <laughs> and thinking, uh, what's going on here? I, 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 and he, he knew the horse was running fast, but this is crazy. He won by about 15 lengths. My goodness. In the fastest time ever recorded at Del Mar, at uh, Hollywood Park for a maiden. And furthermore, it was the widest margin ever recorded by a maiden to break its maiden in any race in the United States. Wow. That was Baruna. So I was in Del Mar, I was in San Juan Batista, California, showing my horses and flying back, trying to make it for the race, but I couldn't because I made the finals and I won the championship up there. So I was on the phone hearing that he won by 15 lengths in the widest margin ever. And it was all like that. When I got home, there was a call from Mr. Harcourt. <laughs> I've put the money back in <laughs> to that property. <laughs> this place where I'm sitting talking to you now would never have existed if it hadn't been for that turnaround. Right. Baruna goes down to now. Then the, the, the now he has more parties, doesn't he? <laughs> and the friends come to the parties. They say, "Yeah, he oh he he knows a sprinter." You see, I told you he was a cowboy. He knows those quarter horses, <laughs> and he knows when a horse is fast. But you can't win races of any significance with that kind of thing. This is ridiculous. And Mr. Harcourt stayed with me then and said, no, we're going we're gonna to have this farm. And in fact, had put down more money on other parcels to make it a little bigger. So Sherivari's coming along. Baruna goes down to, Del, to uh, Del Mar from Hollywood Park as the year goes through. That's the way it goes. And he wins a stake at three quarters of a mile which is still considered a sprint, but he's a two-year-old winning a stakes yeah. that brought $6,500. <laughs> so the calls came back again. This is fantastic. What are we going to do with this horse called Sherivari? Uh, he was only $5,000. Yeah. And Sherivari was training like a horse that could go a mile and a half. I have to tell you, he was training beautifully. And it was after the race at Del Mar, when Baruna turns up having severed mm. a ligament in his hind leg during the course of winning that stake mm. and probably would never race again. Mm-hmm. So there were some dodgy times there putting these properties together right. as to what is Sherivari going to do. Can you imagine... What we have here and what we've had here with world-class champions mm-hmm. never would have happened except for these two little insignificant nothings mm. that came from Del Mar sales. 
Chiaravari enters his maiden race, the first one at Santa Anita after Del Mar, wins by five or six lengths, does it easy, goes into his second race a favorite, and um, wins his second race, and then is put in the first stake of what at that time was the lead-up to a gambling uh, series for the Kentucky Derby. And it was called the Los Feliz Stake. It's still there, I think, and so forth. And Sheriveri won that race, the Los Feliz Stakes at Santa Anita. Yeah. And so the San Jacinto Stakes was the next one. Mm -hmm. And the San Jacinto Stakes would then, because of its date, decide who was the early book favorite for the Kentucky Derby. Right. Sherry Vary wins the San Jacinto Stakes. Impossible. And is the leading three-year-old for the United States of America after having brought $5,000 in the yearling sale. Yeah. And the only, the only race that he was to run in after that, before going to the Kentucky Derby, which he was now the favorite for, would be the, the Santa Anita Derby, mm-hmm. which he didn't make because of two bowed tendons. Right, two. Two. Mm. He came out of the San Jacinto Stakes with two bowed tendons in his front legs. And I brought him back to the farm here, devastated, but at least... The friends stopped saying that I couldn't find a horse that could run around <laughs> two turns or, or be world-class. Right. He was a world-class horse. There's no question about it. Right. And I said, let's put Baruna and Charvary together, and let's send them to, to uh, New Zealand, where mm-hmm. they have staying mares. These are... Their races are staying races, and they breed staying horses. They breed, run a mile and a half and two miles and that kind Meaning, of thing. Yeah, longer, longer. And if we, if we hit there with a couple of sires for sprinters, uh, they, we could just own their mile races and anything shorter. So we sent both of them down there. It took a year to ship them down there. And when Sherivari and Baruna landed there. They loved Baruna, but uh, he was finished. He couldn't race anymore. And I got a call back from this guy that Mr. Harcourt chose, who was part of the uh, government down there, put him in charge of these horses and made him the general manager of the two of them. And uh, the guy calls me and says, you know, these tendons are perfect. You can't even tell that they were bowed. And I said, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? And he said, well, I'd like to put him in training down here with the leading trainer in New Zealand. No, no, no. I love that horse. I don't want to cripple him. I don't want somebody to call and tell me they've put him down on the racetrack because of a tendon problem. Take him to the farm, book him to the mares. He said, I already got 100 mares booked to him. And they could only take 60. That was the rules at that time. Uh, but they ch- could choose the best 60 to, to breed to him. And on Baruna, 
they had 40 mares already booked and it was like six months before the breeding season was to start. So I said, take them back to the farm, leave them there. Two weeks later, I get a call and he says, this horse is in training, Charvary, with a leading trainer in New Zealand. And he says he's absolutely perfect. (laughs) And if he were to run three quarters of a mile, there isn't a horse in New Zealand that could beat him. And I said, he's been a year off and he's shipped on a boat down there. And you tell me he's already fit enough to do this kind of thing. No, take him back to the farm, breed the mares, get the money. Don't worry about it. About three weeks later, I get a call. He won (laughs) at three quarters of a mile by 15 or 20 lengths. He's the fastest thing we've ever seen in New Zealand, and he wasn't as fast as Baruna was, but he was, for three quarters, he was way faster than their horses. And and he, I want to leave him in training because we are now in November, and the 1st of January are the championship races at all distances. No, <laughs> you've won with him now. You can book all the mares you want to book, raise his price, his breeding fee, but take him back to the farm. Well, it goes along, goes along, goes along, and I get no information at all for the longest time, and all of a sudden I get a call. He is the champion sprinter of New Zealand. He won by 10 lengths, three quarters of a mile, He's the champion sprinter. And I said, what happened to take him back to the farm? And he said, well, he's the champion sprinter now. Don't knock me for that. And I said, I didn't. I said, I don't know whether to kiss you or kill you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I want this horse cared for. Oh, Baruna has a full book now and everything is fine. And Monty, day after tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> is the championship mile race for New Zealand. And I said, I'm telling you, I'm going to get a gun and come (laughs) down there. Do not, a day after tomorrow, you're telling me? What is the matter with you? I never race a horse in less than two weeks of rest between races anyway. And you're talking about a championship race at a mile? Well, I don't think they can beat him. I don't care if they can't beat him. I don't want to hear about him dying on the racetrack. Get him back to the farm. As God is my judge, 48 hours later, I get a phone call. He is the champion miler of New Zealand. The whole country. Now this story really begins to come apart because the bipolar disease has kicked in. Harcourt has seen me, has told me to go to his psychiatrist and learn how to handle his idiosyncrasies. He is in trouble and he's really headed downhill. That was happening at the same time that Sherry won not just the champion sprinter, but the champion sprinter and miler and horse of the year for New Zealand racing. Sherry was one of the best racehorses this country ever knew. 
And if they only knew how good he was, I mean, I know his tendons went. And he had his weaknesses, I guess. But think about those tendons healing Mm -hmm. and coming back and being horse of the year in a major racing country. A couple of years ago, I don't know how long ago it was now, mm-hmm. but uh, we we uh, had you on a, a number of our shows talking yeah. about the Equus Online University, which had just yeah. come out. It has developed. It's become better with the search engine in it, and it's become better with the forum because we have such an amazing forum. You know, a lot of those forums, people get on there and go, oh, no, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yeah, usually it's, it ends up with the whiners on forums. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's not. What I see is a mentoring. Actually, it's, it's almost the polar opposite. Because um, the, we, we do give these rosettes out for people who've completed so many lessons. And uh, once the rosettes started, now we have, uh, we're up to five rosettes uh, for somebody who's watched every lesson. And you, you have those rosettes by your forum uh, personality and your profile. And uh, so you can really see who's watched all these things. So it gives them credibility when they come in and say, hey, if you watch this lesson. So people come on there and they're using it as a, um, as a training tool, frankly, you know, and they get on there. And, and I'm not bragging on, on the university as the greatest training tool, which I think it is, but it's also a great place for people to be mentored as they begin their journey with horses. Um, it really, it really is cool. So when they watch the lessons and they can watch them over and over again as many times as they want, they get the lesson notes. They get audio, they get visual, and then they've got the forum to kick around too. Plus, we've got now since 2004, every week, without fail, we put up a Q&A from Monty himself. He chose the question, he answered it, and we put it in a database. And that's actually free for everybody to search and get to. It's it's open on our um, Equus Online University. In other words, it's a non-subscriber open source forum too. Uh, not forum, but a Q&A base. Uh, the forum is not. You're, you're behind a subscriber wall for the forum just so we know who's talking. But it is... Um, it is it's been an incredible experience, actually, to put these together with Stefan Peters and Will Simpson. You know who I'm talking about. These these guys have won everything yeah. in their worlds. And uh, Charlotte Bredals and and if I get started, Rich, Richard Winters and so many guest lecturers that are on there, too. So some people ask, why is it called university? Well, that's what a university is. It's uh, it's not just one opinion. It's not just one deliverer. You know, and, and I think that's the difference between the uh, everybody is putting out a YouTube these days and they're free so people ask us sometimes why do you charge like up to ten dollars a month and well it's it's expensive to make the university everybody knows quality is is uh not cheap but it, it's really our mission statement and i know that sounds a bit trite but it's true <laughs> when you when you've worked at it for five years just to get all that quantified and on there they're just almost no subjects we haven't covered at this point but um but dad and i were looking at the list and he goes Hey, I'm going to be making videos until well into my 90s. And I went, yes. (laughs) Promise and sign here. (laughs) So, so we do have, we do have a lot of subjects left to go and a lot of people we want to still get on there. What do you think of it, Glenn? Well, I think that one of the things about training horses as it, same as training anything really, uh, is that you're, you're going through stages and you're always coming up to a new, 
problem to solve uh-huh. or a new issue to deal with. And what I like about the university now that you have so much content on there mm-hmm. is that whatever issue you're running into, there's going to be something on there to help you. So not many people are going to go on there and watch all, you know, all the videos mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so many of them. What you're, go- what you're going to want to do is go on there and you're going to want to watch the videos that relate to the situation you're in currently with right. that particular horse. Um, and, and that's what I like about it is it has, it has so much content now that whatever you're dealing with, you're probably going to find an answer somewhere, somehow. And if not, you can go to the forum. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I, I really like about it is wherever you're at now is where you can find that situation. Plus, you know, YouTube is so full of crap now. And I'm not saying that every video on there is crap, but there are, we all know what we're talking about. Uh, there are some that are. And, you know, one of the things that, I really like about this is you know you can trust it. Uh, you know that w- what you're seeing is something you can trust. I've tried doing repairs on uh, appliances and things off of YouTube videos. <laughs> and, and you know, some of them are good, some are not so good. And some, one of the things I couldn't get back together again. So, oh. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, that. At least you didn't hurt yourself. That's right. Good. <laughs> so that's what I really like about it. And for that, yes, it costs a few, it costs a few pennies to do it, but it's worth it. Um, nice. you know, it's worth it to do it right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it is tried and true. Everything on there is so tried and true. If not, you know, we'd be, they'd be throwing tomatoes at us in the forum. <laughs> but it really does work. And, and we, we are so happy that, uh, so many people have been, um, interested enough at least to go there, you know, and I should plug in the, the website right now is, um, www.montyrobertsuniversity.com, um, because people can get a free day pass on there and go see what we're talking about and, uh, and check out that search engine too. You can put in the weird little keywords and you, you find all kinds of crazy stuff. It really is cool. And it breaks it down by, um, not just the lessons first, then it goes into the Q and A database and then it goes into the forum. So you can actually pick and choose where you, um, pick up those keywords from too. So um, it, it's great. And then you also have little challenge questions, which I love the little tests at the end. You know, there's always four questions at the end of your lesson to make sure that, you know, you were, you were watching. And um, if, if you get it wrong, it just says, want to try again? <laughs> and so you, by process of elimination, you get it right. And then it, it moves you on. And that's how you get your rosettes that you've accomplished that, um, that lesson and that you get to move on. But I, you know, what you just said is so important because when we were setting this, idea up. Um, nothing really existed like it. We didn't want it to be first you have to do one and then you have to do number two and then you have to do number three and like it was some sort of programmed process. Yeah, because that, that never go. works. It doesn't. It, <laughs> no. you know, because we wanted people who were amazing trainers to jump in there and go, this is what I, you know, what does Monty say about this or what does this trainer say about that? Uh, and they could be at a world-class level or it could be a very beginner saying, where do I start first? And you, you can just go down the lessons if you want. But, you know, it's like you said, if all of a sudden you have a horse that won't load and you didn't have one last week that didn't load, you know, you go to the loading lessons right. and it's exactly. a whole series on it. And it's MontyRobertsUniversity.com? That's it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Denise has loved horses since she was five years old. She's traveled the world training horses as a specialist in teaching students to gentle horses and to help horses overcome phobias and remedial issues. A Monty Roberts certified instructor, in 2020, Denise was the recipient of the award from Queen Elizabeth II for her work to take violence out of the training of horses and also for her work on the Horse Sense and Healing Program for veterans and first responders. Denise is also a facilitator of the program called Lead Up 
developed around Monty's concepts of join-up and teaching peaceful leadership to the at-risk youth. Well, welcome back, Denise Heinlein. Exciting to have you back again. And um, you're hailing from Germany right now, as I recall. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm sitting here in Germany um, on my computer and like the internet is just amazing. <laughs> it is, it is. But I know you're usually a world traveler. I, you know, We've talked in different places all over the world with you, Argentina and the U.S., of course. As the resident instructor here for a number of years, uh, it's exciting to always catch up with you and what the latest greatest is. And I know there's a COVID update in there, but I really don't want to ask How's it feeling over there? Are you guys starting to loosen up a little bit? Yeah, the summertime is, I think, all over um, better than uh, wintertime. So in the summer now, it's quite nice. We are going into restaurants again and like um, the public swim places are open. So it's actually really nice. I enjoy it a lot. I even was like over the border um, to Italy for a little holiday. So, yes, it's opening up. But now I'm really disappointed because right now I wish I would have been in Ireland, in Ireland instead of Germany. But there is still um, a quarantine um, for German people to enter the country. So that's why I'm sitting in Germany now and not in Ireland to talk yeah. to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in that too. See, I told you she's a world traveler. Listen to her. So it's it's fun. It's fun to catch up with you, though, because... I feel like you're one of the greatest students and observers of equine behavior that there is, frankly. And I know you've learned from the best. Ha, ha, ha. That's dad. But you're a good student. I give you all that credit for being a student of equine behavior and observation of their behaviors. But I want to take you back a little bit. I wanted to have you on to talk about your horse. You've mentioned and alluded to him. What's his name? Apollo. Apollo. And Apollo, you tell me, is 29 years old now. Yes, exactly, 29. And I owe him since he's three years old. So it's quite a time now. That's amazing. And did you start him? Were you his first rider? Um, no, not really. I, I, He was lightly started before we got him because I only was like 13. Mm -hmm. And um, so when my parents bought him from me and he was like lightly started and then he was with me so I further trained him. So you really grew up together? Mm -hmm, yes we did. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> and a lot of frustration too. But, I suppose. Uh, great learning and yeah opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. And what kind of horse is he? What's his breed? He's a halflinger. <laughs> Beautiful. Like the little um, blonde um, mountain ponies from Austria. Mm, strong little horses, though. Hard to say pony. They're ponies height, but not really. They're all horse, yeah? Well, yeah, he is like one meter, 52 centimeters. That's like over the pony um, measurement. Mm -hmm. And hands, what is that? Do, do you, Have you ever measured him in hands? It's four inches, four inches a hand, so you guys can figure it out. But yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Don't ask me about like um, math. Um. Yeah, we're not doing meters today. That's yeah. all. <laughs> but, but I really, I really want to talk about how you kept him that healthy all these years, um, and the journey, knowing horsemanship and observation and equine behavior so well, and you being a healthy person and wanting health for your horse too. I wanted to take you from owner's standpoint 
through the process of where you wanted to keep him and what kind of regime you wanted to wanted him on to keep him healthy. And I think everybody should listen to you who have done so well with not only Apollo, but so many horses. And you've seen the way that natural horsemanship has evolved over the last, oh gosh, 15, 20 years now, really, Denise. I'm not going to age you here, but you started at 13. So that's pretty young. So I I was hoping that you would tell us a little bit about Apollo and then the journey you took to choose how and where he should live. Mm -hmm. Well, Apollo, um, I was lucky enough to have like really nice influence already from the beginning because he was, when I got him, um, he was gelded. So he he is a gelding um, uh, when he was three years old and therefore... I was able to have him in a in a group of horses, and um, in the beginning, basically, we had him um, here where I grew up um, in the village, in a, uh, at a place at um, like a farmer did build. Like he actually built that barn um, for this group of people mm. because they all had horses, and um, this was very unique. Like he really did handcraft um, that barn with like a little outdoor paddock and like two big fields um, on the side. So it was basically the start of a of a running running stable where the horses could go in and out into their stalls. Like they really had their own stables where they would um, be fed. Mm-hmm. And then we just closed them off in the in the feeding time so they could feet there in in peace and they wouldn't have like to push themselves around and then whenever they were done and finished we just open up all of the stables and then they had a little um covered place and then like the outside paddock and like the two main fields which they could go in and out grazing all the time Mm. and have like a really nice self um um yeah well, how do you say regulated mm-hmm. life you know so okay. they make up their mind and choose where they would like to be in what time of the of the day and like yeah when they would go out or hide inside mm-hmm. and that's actually really nice to observe and i think everybody who keeps their horses a bit free sees when they choose to be for example outside or inside with the weather conditions where we as humans mm-hmm. would kind of make like we call it <laughs> anthropomorphism where yes. you kind of put your own thoughts on top of the the animal and you would say like oh my god now with the rain let's bring them in but actually when you observe them they often stand outside in a light rain and uh, enjoy it very much instead of coming inside you know into the dry mm-hmm. yeah place. it's it is it seems well counterintuitive to humans but <laughs> they do enjoy outside and you're in germany so it's it can be a little more extreme than maybe us here in in the southern central california area so so you could observe that your horse apollo did things a little bit differently maybe than other horses in the herd groups well, not not in other horse groups. I would just say it's very interesting, or in at that time it was very interesting for me to see what kind of decision the group makes instead of where we always thought, oh, okay, there they should be inside now or they should go outside, and they made a decision completely um, different to what I have expected mm-hmm. them to do. And it it was really fun to see, you know, sometimes like they had always in the morning times, like the really active 
run around, playtime. And so just to see how horses regulate their own, you know, life if they can. That was always really wonderful for me to see mm-hmm. or to observe. So were all the horses out together ever uh, pastured, like where they'd mix it up? Um, so they were not pastured because they were like we. It was open for them to choose. Right. Okay. So yeah. So they were. What What do you say to somebody who says, um, "I'm worried about putting my horse with another horse," um, assuming there's a transition time and everything too, because they will kick or bite or you know there'll be some tussles. Is that something you ever worried about with Apollo? Well, Apollo, since he was like um, used to be in in a field, because in that time when we bought him, he was only three, and all of the time before um, with the breeder, he was in a in a herd of youngsters. So he was used to live um, and socialize with other horses. And of course, I can totally understand people where they say they are afraid that horses do. Um, you know, get aggressive to each other. But um, as far as I could um, see this um, scenario is when we, um, you know, give the horses reason for it. Mm. So, for example, feeding areas or when there is like a a narrow pathway where they could, you know, get into Mm -hmm. a situation where they need to be, um, yeah, competitive yeah or they can put um, other horses in the corner where they can't get out and things like this but with the new and like um there's been a lot of researches um being done and also like new um stable um how um designs sorry ideas you know and um systems which exactly this um, is being tried to minimize where you say like horses need to be, you know, there are always two or three um, ways out. So it never can happen that Mm -hmm. one horse is blocking the entrance or the exit and things like this. So you can minimize um, the situation where horses would bite or kick each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know the full story of Apollo, but I wonder, was there ever... um, a situation or a stabling situation that you had to take him out of because you weren't comfortable with the way it was? Oh, yes. <laughs> we moved uh-huh. quite a, a few times because, I mean, I think perfect is really difficult. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Something perfect, it's really difficult. And as uh, I have been traveling quite a bit, he um, had to travel a bit with me. Mm-hmm. So he has been to uh, quite a few places Um and some were really functioning very well and some not that great, you know. Um, so therefore, sometimes it was the reason because I had to move some other places. And sometimes it was really the barn where I said, like, OK, he needs to leave there because it's not really um, a, a good place. It looks great, but like sometimes the quality of the hay or um, like how they treat the horses, the 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 guys or the grooms or so on you know the barn helpers it's like really important i mean there's so many important little factors of having a perfect um barn and a perfect horse life i would say mm-hmm. for for the horses who who stand in in groups and 
Also, what I think it's really important to keep an eye on how the individuals like each other. You know, because now as we as um, owners, we always want the perfect barn for our horse. But we, I, I think we take a little bit too less note of how the individuals like each other in the specific groups. Ah, okay. Tell us what you were looking for for Apollo. I know it's personal to you and him, but when you went to a new area and you had to look for a stable, what were you looking for? What in particular? I mean, those most important things. Mm-hmm. Well, I always look um, for um, enough space so they actually have like the possibility to move quite a bit without me being there every day since, as you know me, I'm traveling quite a lot and I always have. Um, so I, I wanted to put him into a place, into a stable where I don't have to be there every day so that he is standing in a stall um, only waiting for somebody to come and ride him for however long the mm-hmm. ride could last. That was really important for me so that he keeps himself, you know, moving and healthy. Mm-hmm. And another thing is uh, that I was looking for um, social contact for my horse because I wanted to have him being able to to live a life without me being there, you know, with mm-hmm. his friends and his herd. That was really important. And, of course, um, a good quality of um, hay and and food so because of hay i unfortunately i have like um his history is that he almost um died when i was the longest time like the one and a half years in in america because of the um like lung um problems oh, uh-huh. and um so there he he was in a stage where he was really drastically having problems of breathing and that was like just so many factors adding to it, but like um, the low quality of hay uh, was a big factor of it as well. Oh dear, okay. But he pulled out so and needed you back there to oversee him. I guess more time with our horses is what we see. Could be be really yeah, nice if we could do it um, full time, but not everybody yeah, yeah, has no, that opportunity. <laughs> And I mean, to be full-time horse owner, I think that's um, really difficult. I mean, we can't be there all the time. So we have to try to find places, you know, where we we give them the best life we can um, for the time we are not there, I think. I mean, that's my personal wish for my horse. And of course, Mm -hmm. everybody else has like their um, opinion. That's perfectly fine. But you know, he is 29. He is quite healthy. He has a little bit arthritis. Um, but my little niece, um, she calls him Capolo, actually. Mm-hmm. And she's still riding him now with her. She's oh, not yeah. really heavy. And, and that's like the best thing to see that I could yeah. have him for such a long time. That's incredible. That's right. Your little baby niece. So um, if... If you had your perfect scenario for him, what kind of exercise do you like to see him get now at this point? I know he's a senior, but I, I'll get back to when he was younger too. What do you what do you what do you think is a minimum for exercise? And what kind of exercise do you like to see for him in, in his age? Well, at his age now, he's just like moving along with the group. And he is like sometimes when he feels like it, he is even 
galloping with with the herd on on the field but if he doesn't want to he can just walk or trot behind mm -hmm. i think that's great that yeah. he has the opportunity to you know regulate his own um path and um like i have had him for quite a while in uh, one of the track systems the paddock paradise track systems oh yeah and that was really really um great for him because Ooh, tell us it was about like that. yeah um uh, they try uh, to uh, you know encourage the horses for more movement so like the water is on one stage and the sleeping places are on on the other side and they are connected with like pathways so the horses cannot just um cross on the short way but they have to follow like the track mm -hmm. and so and uh, at that place like after the water it was um, closed so they had to walk all the way back um, uh, to the food for example so that um, seemed to really really help um, him and his fitness and like he he had like a good time at that place mm -hmm. i think it was like a it's a nice idea it's like a very great um thinking of how to keep horses but of course it is for everybody who is a little bit short on time not the easiest way to keep their horses because you have to go there you know and find them on the track and if it depends mm -hmm. on how lucky your horse is and how much time it takes you from bringing him from the furthest point <laughs> and to the place where you can you know tag him and and groom him and so on so i think it's a little bit time consuming um, for the owner, but the, my horse seemed to be super happy there. Yeah, engage the brain, and I guess if you're mm -hmm. now, is that something just for senior horses? Or is that um, no? Or is had, that we had a mixture of of age there, like young horses, and like they were like a a few three year olds, and like two 15 year olds, and three old ones, like. 30 plus and 29 wow. and so on. Wow, you have old horses in Germany. That's awesome, <laughs> or at least in your backyard. <laughs> That's great. I love to hear that they're living over 30, don't you? Yeah, no, it definitely changed. And I think it's quite normal nowadays to get like the horses to a high, high um, age. It's quite, it's quite normal. Good, mm -hmm. good goal, I think, you know, because when I was a kid, that was pretty pretty unusual. And I, I would grant that medicine probably has gotten better, but I think we've maybe taken a turn toward figuring out healthier lifestyles too, which is why I wanted to have you on to talk about Apollo oh, definitely. too. I think when I started, we still had the horses in those horse stands, you know, where they would right. tie them Gosh. on the halter and they would just be able to lay down and stand up. That was like pretty normal in the riding school so no wonder that the horses wouldn't live that yeah. long if, if they had you know this kind of um life and then you take them out and ride them around and then you you tie them back on so i mean in in the last 20 or 30 years a lot of things change and i think it's on on the way like here in in germany we have this hit active barns they get really really um popular and it's a amazing system i think um, for myself um, uh, where you can keep your horses and uh, you know they have their own food 
and like everything is like with technology based uh, and supported so i think that's great and as i said like the the paddock paradise system i do like this very much and he's a neighbor of yours um, Jamie. Right. do you remember that we we went out there with a group of instructors when you had a conference here yeah. up uh, up on a mountain it was beautiful yeah yeah i think that's like it's really brilliant ideas Mm-hmm. And I mean, in in America, anyway, you have like this big of um, like the land is so huge that you are in a lucky position to have like the horses often outside in the herds um, running almost free anyway. So mm-hmm. but in in those small countries like Europe here in, in Germany or Austria or Holland, we have to really think about how we can take that little bit of land which we can give our horses to their maximum of you know well-being and and those like open barns or like when they go outside and in small groups i think this is like the minimum we can give them to you know enjoy their life and replicate what what nature dealt us what about the performance horses though what about the person who says uh i have a you know i have a sport horse or i have somebody who i have to worry about mm-hmm yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's always the risk of a, a pulled shoe and, uh, you know, a few marks if they are out. But actually, if if um, they would be in in groups and friend groups where they like each other and, um, you know, in in good footage and, you know, to to have that really highly uh, build, I don't see a problem why you shouldn't have the the performance horses out there too together. I think they would be more happy and motivated to do their job, mm-hmm. you know, instead of um, being bar, um, in the stable all the time. But that's my personal mm-hmm. Yeah, opinion. but I respect your personal opinion highly. And you got Apollo all the way to 29 traveling the world. So you're doing something right too. But I love your powers of observation about what's fair to the horse. And um, you're right. We we have as humans done it upside down um, in the past. And I hope we can get better at that. So mm-hmm. I, but I, mm-hmm. I think also, sorry, um, Debbie, I didn't want to cut in. Oh, in I just thought um, what I also know that horses are creatures of habit. You know, once you have like an old horse, like an old performance horse or a horse who has been in the barn all the time and like kind of um, had the habit of being by themselves and so on, they can also be stressed uh, when you just think, oh, now, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to live in that um, life anymore. So go out and enjoy life. I think we have to be really, really um, careful and observing our individual horse if they are happy in the group, if they have friends in the group, if they have enough resting time and so on, because it's all restricted, you know, where we put them. It doesn't matter if it's like a a barn or a stable or an open stable or like a a field where they can stay outside all the time. We really need to observe the individuals if Mm -hmm. they are happy and, uh, you know, enjoying the the place where we we decide to put them. Mm, well said and good point. I appreciate that too. Yeah, and the individual owner um, knowing a little bit. I mean, being educated by someone like Denise Heinlein. Thank you. Is it, it's up to you ultimately, the owner. But 
um, it, it's up to us, I think, too, to educate ourselves not only about the the best ways for a horse, for example, eating from the ground. Um, I think everybody who knows a little bit about the the way horses are built, the physiology of horses, now comes to understand that eating from the ground is better designed, you know, in the horse's whole system than eating, you know, in other ways. But it's taken us a while to get to what does that look like then? What kind of manger can we create that doesn't have them mixing it up with uh, manure and, you know, and, and doing other things that we are not happy with anyway. And so I, I love that your brain is always working on what's fair for the horse, but also what's healthy for the horse too, and and observing and watching how they react to everything. And and fair, fair statement too, to say that if we've created a pattern or habituated a horse to be an introvert, <laughs> I guess, if he's not mixing it up with other horses his whole life and he's well along, it, it might be unfair just to toss him out just because we decided that that was a better way for him to live too. So I appreciate those points too. Mm-hmm. Well, friendships, I, 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 you know, when we had the chance there um, to see uh, the wild or the kind of wild living horses, it's really, really interesting how they form their friendships and the bonds. And you will always see whenever other day you, you go there and observe the horses They they tend to hang out in their little friends group, yeah. um. So I think, and also to see it here, and uh, Apollo is the best example. He, he used to have like a really really great friend, and I'm so sorry that um at that time we didn't really realize um how hard it is for horses to you know be separated from their buddies, but um when they return as uh, reunited, you you. I mean, it was really as somebody would say hi to an old friend after like 10 years. Mm. It was so nice to see um, oh and gosh. also how they remember individuals and how important um, it is to, you know, allow them to have enough horses so they can build their friendship little circles in, oh. in a big group. That is a great, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that too, because I agree with you. I think that we don't give them enough credit for that social interaction and we should, they're herd animals. But what would you say to the person? Is there a transition um, kind of stabling that you would say allows for a horse to, I don't know, nibble over the fence? You know, those, I know that's what we do when we're going to introduce a, a horse to a pasture of horses, we'll keep them in the sand paddock first, right? So they can play lip tag or whatever they're going to do over the fence and get used to each other. Is there a kind of a stabling that would maybe help the the horse that's been in a stable for a long time, but transition to this, not just 24 hours, but I don't know, walk-ins and walk-outs that are not within a herd? Do you advocate for those or individualize all, every story? Well, most of the time, yeah, individualized. And also it has a little bit of a um, background with in what kind of herd or group um, mm-hmm. the horses are getting, you know, the youngsters tend to have like it easier when you, you, um, you know, introduce, um, other mm-hmm. youngsters. So I, I find them morphing together quite easily while when you have like a existing older, um, horse, uh, group, and then you want to have like another, let's say like 12 year old, um, strong gelding into a like really um, existing um, group already 
where you have like a few couples of quite equal minded horses therefore i would give them more time you know and have them next to each other quite a while so they can you know get to know each other um over the fence and like kind of just be side to side for a while until they uh, they don't really like squeak over the fence anymore mm-hmm. too much or like more or less ignore each other and like the most important thing i um would say is to have like enough space because if horses have enough space and like for example on a on a green pasture they they're more interested in in grazing than like chasing the other one around Mm -hmm. and if they chase for a little while they don't really chase like for kilometers and kilometers Mm -hmm. so if they have if the other horse has enough room to go uh, you know just to to get away out of the bubble from the other one then you know they're they're fine mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah but, it's cute yeah don't rush it. Don't, don't rush it don't rush it make Very really um, um yeah clever um picks on what horse should come in what group i think yeah. that's like important that's wise yeah what about geldings and mares well geldings and mares are Mix it fine. Up or geldings have, and mares yeah mm-hmm. I had like the one family uh, group where Apollo was about like 15 years, no, almost, yeah, almost 15 years. He would stand in a mixed group with like, we had like one, two, three, four, four mares. And I think four or five geldings and it worked perfectly. I mean, those horses, they really lived like a, a family. They loved each other and like there was never ever in that time he had one scratch or uh, a kick mark or something it was really really harmonic Ham- mm-hmm. harmonic is that the mm-hmm. word that's a good word yeah <laughs> yes um, and um so therefore it wasn't a problem but um i've had like in that um track system for example where he was he was in the beginning with only mares and he was the only gelding i've never had him in in that way before and he loved it i mean he completely changed his his character and took on the okay my mares i have to you know take care of them it was super interesting to see my own horse um form that different behavior patterns with mm. him being the the man <laughs> and um and then um like a few more geldings would come in no first a few more mares would come in and he really did separate those mares away mm-hmm. from um from his original little group before he allowed them to come in yeah. and then a few more geldings were and that really um didn't work well mm, um, so because he had then the the opinion to be more protective about the mares which he normally never was so that was really strange that is so interesting i think it you should put super, on a class like this and super tell us what's going yeah right you know i love reading a herd and and hearing it through a really great professional's eyes too very fun yeah well, and now when i moved one more change and now i moved and he is only with um, my geldings and he absolutely is um, now the underdog which oh. he also never was. I mean, of course, he gets older by the time I'm moving, but at the same time, he is, yeah, he is not yet um, forming. There was an Icelandic horse in the group, and this one he was his friend, but he left, unfortunately. 
and now he did not find another friend in his herd which he is standing in at the moment he likes them and he's like hanging out with them but not like he normally did pick friends before so yeah now well, I'm, I'm a, mm-hmm. I want to uh, um, you know continue observing if he is because he's getting older you know and a little loner or because he doesn't really like any of the others. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> just not a fan of the group. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I, I know that they, as they get older, they do um, yield, I think, to some of the younger hierarchy. But it doesn't mean that um, that they're low man on the totem pole or pecking order either. It could just be that he's not that. Maybe he needs a goat friend or something. So I've heard people introduce other kinds of animals to the the herds too, which is sometimes interesting, an interesting dynamic. Um, goats, llamas, you know, different things too. So very interesting. We'll probably have to get some people to call in and tell us their stories too about introducing horses to herds and and um, get some variations. But I wanted to take it from the expert, Apollo's owner first. Yeah, well, the expert of like 29 years of Apollo. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's really a lot of um, great possibilities nowadays, I would say, for the horses. And um, I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing all over the world that like the, the minds, you know, are changing and even... Even the sport horses are getting out into the field and um, kind of being able to have happier lives as um, they used to. So that's all, I think, on a very positive way to go forward for the animals, for the horses. I think so, too. Great evolution. We're we're finally figuring it out. (laughs) The horses told us, boy, we've been waiting for you to get it right for a long time. So happy to see it, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks, Denise. Thanks for sharing your story, sharing Apollo's story, and telling us, um, giving us some insight about what we could be looking forward to seeing in our horses to stay healthier. Leave this world a better place in the The magic in the language of Welcome back, Heather Reynolds. Thanks again for uh, agreeing to come back and give us our trainer's tip for this week. What do you got for us? Well, I think my biggest tip is, is no matter what discipline you're in, no matter what level you're at, if you have a specific goal in mind on the day of your event and you just want to get it done, the most important thing I can say is remember to listen to your horse because your horse doesn't always have the same thing in mind and it's not always your horse's day. So to get the best result, ride the horse that you have on the day of the event. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in September of 2021. We've got September 1 through 3 is the Introductory Course Module 4. That's preparing for the intro exams. So if you've taken the 1, 2s, and 3s, you want to prepare for those intro exams, which happen September 6 through 10. That's when we have those introductory exams for those people who are prepared and done all their reading and video submission to take those exams to see if they can move on to the advanced course. And then October, September 13th through October 1, we're going to be having advanced students crawling all over here taking their advanced courses. And then also we have a secondary one. We have them like lining up at like airplanes at the airport. It's very cool. They've been waiting since COVID. So we have October 4 through 21, the advanced course 
2. And then 22 through 24, we have a Horse Sense and Healing in October, and that's for veterans and first responders. And then November 8 through 19, we have the long version of the introductory course of horsemanship. That is the first leg of the certification pipeline. So we're excited to get people back in here. And out of their houses, working with horses again. And then in December, 10 through 12, we have another, our last of the year, Horse Sense and Healing. And again, that is for veterans, first responders, EMTs, trauma nurses, police, fire, anybody who's very service-oriented who has um, been suffering from some post-traumatic stress. We put them in with the horses, and Monty has a very science trial-based methodology of helping these people get past some of those trust issues. So we're very excited about that. There you go. And if you were not able to commit all of that to memory, you can go to MontyRoberts.com where you're going to find the calendar and so much more. Even the podcast is on the homepage. All you have to do is scroll down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or you can go old school and call Flag is Up Farms. There are real human beings who work there on a regular basis that know what's going on and can answer your questions by calling 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, episode 190, go to horsemanshipradio.com and you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. You can follow Monty on social media. It's a great place to find out what's going on as well as offer your opinion. Monty Roberts is the handle on Facebook. It's the one with a little blue checkmark on Twitter and Instagram. It's Monty underscore Roberts. And go and get the app. And if you've done have have done that already, and many of you have, uh, take your phone from your friend who doesn't bother with that sort of thing and go to the app store and download it for them. They will thank you later. And our app, Horse Radio Network, is available for, for Android and iPhone. And you can also listen to all the shows on the Horse Radio Network on your favorite podcatcher. So pick your service. <laughs> Yeah, I I love getting on the app. I mean, that's the way to go. It makes it so much easier. And I get to keep up with all the new shows that you put on the Horse Radio Network. You know, if I, in case I've missed somewhere, they, somebody slipped in a new one. They're really good. You guys are fantastic. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. That's Hands On Gloves. We talk about them all the time because we love them. And Monty Roberts University. And that's where we get all our knowledge. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.